0: Halfway there. You either got less hair or more coming out everywhere. Getting more deaf, worrying about death. All the tires you got are spare. Unexplained coffin while choosing your coffin. Getting some laughs in and choking on taffy. Squeaking more than a dolphin. Rubbing at the kids, surling undies with skids. Wondering if we fuck it up can we still make the mic drop. general Xing, texting, vexing, exiting. But not yet, not yet. We're just halfway there
1: halfway there. Hi, halfway there, listeners. This week, we're so excited and proud to host our first guest on the pod, the indomitable Joshua Grinnell, who is known in the drag world as Peaches Christ. Joshua and I have been friends for cough, 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 clearing of throat, uh, many decades now. And he's truly one of those people who I consider one of my most successful friends, but not for all of the flashy immediate reasons you'd think. Yes. He's an extremely successful producer and director and writer and performer, but he is also a deeply kind person and always has been. And someone who I think of as living a truly authentically happy life And since this show is all about the midpoint of our lives and taking that in and reflecting on where we are, where we've been, and where we're going, he is a great guest to have on to explore all the big questions we ask here every week. So without further ado, here's the interview.
0: Bienvenidos to the interview. Super listening for you. Join me and me, gente. We're going to keep it caliente. Interview starts now.
1: Hi, this is Jenny Tare.
0: Hi, this is Camilo Fantasia.
1: Hi, this is Kim
2: Gaynor. And welcome to Halfway There with special guest,
1: Joshua Grinnell.
0: Yay. Hi. He's also
1: halfway there with us. Thanks for having Although he me. he otherwise.
3: Oh, hey I'm, I'm, I'm actually very honest and in touch with my age.
1: Let's not go there. Unlike okay.
3: others. <laughs> Joshua.
1: Joshua holds secrets. okay. Um, we've been friends for a long time and it's now is not the time to air them.
3: because I also
1: have secrets.
3: Um,
1: how are you? How's life? I'm good. I, uh,
3: uh, it's it's a little strange because after, you know, being uh, kind of getting used to not having a whole lot to do, uh, I've opened a show and it's a big, big show. So it, it, it's weird that I, it's remembering, oh yeah, this was what my life was like. And it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it, feel, it feels harder.
1: Do you have pandemic nostalgia?
3: Well, I, I, well, no, not because really. I think we're still, I I don't think we're in the, in the clear yet. I'm not convinced that we're, you know, I, I think maybe this is, uh, you know, um, we're still in the pandemic and, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm grateful that we're able to open a show for now, uh, I think because of the style of show that it is, which is more immersive theater than, you know, sticking a bunch of people in in a big room. Um, We're able to do it more safely. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I don't, because I I think after this show, I I don't know that it's necessarily going to be that I stay busy, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. So it's enjoying. I mean, I have a, just a quick question. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about the show and also what it's like having an audience, what the audience is
3: like, like, what's the vibe? Well, that has been actually a pleasant surprise because I think going into it, um, we weren't sure uh, if people would buy tickets, if people would come out, would they be fun? You know, would they enjoy what we're doing? So the show is I do an immersive haunted attraction, uh, which we're realizing more and more, especially this year, um, that people who come to it thinking they're attending, we we call it a haunted attraction we maybe shouldn't because it's, it's theater and, you know, there's a script and there's, you know, 50 actors working a night and they all tell a story. And especially this year, the the story has a beginning, a middle and an end. And so uh, figuring out how to do that was the challenge, but we had the time to do it. So the show is bigger than it's ever been before. And it's a lot more storytelling, a lot more drama, um, you know, the, the the talent of the actors is, is quite good because we were able to pull from my pool of talent who aren't necessarily doing all of their other traditional theater right now. Right. Um, and so it's sort of like our show, but our show on steroids. Um, but it's still a horror show. I mean, it's still a supernatural adventure. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of questions like, are people going to want to go out and see something that's kind of, you know, dark and scary after everything we've been through? But um, the good news is yes, they do <laughs> our, our attendance is up and I think that mostly horror uh, does well. Um, in, in horrible I'm, times it does it does it does and it's it's been proven i mean you know you look at look at candy man you know uh we we had candy man come out and it, it was number one at the box office that's not an, a, a normal thing for a genre film especially a more niche genre film and you know that that to me was a really good sign and this opening and, and not just us but the entire haunt Industry is is having record breaking numbers, yeah. and what we've learned is that people use horror and 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 fun scary stuff to actually exorcise, you know, uh, mm-hmm. their sort of real demons, the real fear, the real anxiety, the real sort of struggle that we've all gone through. This is a place to come and like. You're allowed to fucking scream you can scream your ass off and the, we're finding that people are screaming more they're laughing more they are releasing right like this is a yeah. release so it, it, it's been really actually quite wonderful like the the, the groups have been great
1: that's awesome. amazing
3: joshua are you familiar with the incredible uh
0: horror haunted houses here in kansas city and the dilapidated meatpacking district that we have here i'm
3: not you need to come uh, you need
0: to come visit i'm a little bit kind of chicken shit so i haven't done it yet but the buildings okay. themselves are terrifying looking because they're half derelict
3: and apparently there's some of the biggest in the country here um wow. did know, because now did you know this uh camilo that the this is so weird so i go to a, a haunters <laughs> convention it's the world's <laughs> largest haunters convention and it's actually in st louis oh and and so it happens annually but it's called trans world so me as as a as someone who's best known as a drag performer um when i tell my friends i'm going to trans world or the trans world convention they're like oh okay well you know um you know fight for your rights you know and i'm like no it's actually you know it's a it's a haunter's convention why it's called trans world i'm not really sure but it is it is where we in the industry all go so um kansas city you know not not too far away not three hours yeah the problem wow. is the problem is that it's uh i remember once doing a gig where they flew me into either kansas city or st louis and then the gig was in between it was at the big university there yeah. i should probably know what the school is called Columbia. yeah university okay university of missouri had, columbia they had peaches there and i'll never forget taking the the, the freeway the highway um and seeing all the abortion billboards, right? Like mm. and, and, and being kind of shocked because it, you know, as much as as much as uh I don't like to go, I live in a bubble, I live in a bubble because I I I think that's sort of a strange way to look at things. It's like, well, so do they, you know. Um it was a little bit of a culture shock to see just the sheer amount of Jesus billboards and abortion, like fetus billboards. And as we're going there, the uh, the promoter says something like, and security will meet you tonight at blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, security? Like, what? And they were like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, we'll have security for you. And I'm like, I don't really think I'll need security. Like, I'm not Madonna, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, no, you're, you'll need security. They did not tell me about the huge protest that was planned oh, because yeah. I was- know yeah until it was happening and i was walking through it but i loved it i was loving it (laughs) because all those queer kids that had brought me to that school and once we got inside the building and we we did the show and you know i I, it was like a drag show for the students and they had me as like a kind of a a special hostess and i did a number and did a talk um i was madonna to them you know and Mm -hmm. and that was so great and i and and the protest only helped those kids feel you know like like more excited about me being there so
1: oh that's so great that's
3: Oh, well, living amazing. here is a big reminder of what that. America, what the heart of the country is like. I was thinking about land. all three. I was thinking about all three of you listening to your podcast and thinking like, wow, like this is this is the current state of urban artists. Like you're all three, you've all scattered around the world, you know. Yeah. And you're all New Yorkers, right? Like, I mean, yes. you know, in, in one way or another. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. That's surreal.
1: Well, speaking of time passing and scattering and where we all are and where we'll be, I have a few questions for you as a Gen Xer. Come on, claim. We want to grill you. Yeah, that's right. Claim your (laughs) place. Okay, Um, sure. So the first question we had was, how does it feel to be a Gen X performer, producer and drag queen? And how do you feel like it's changed throughout your career? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. we're interested in in self-reflection now that we're getting into our
0: (laughs) okay our twilight years years.
1: (laughs) no fuck that fuck that seriously the the, the evolution of the gen x artist yeah
3: sure yeah okay um well I think um I can speak to it, it in two ways uh I feel like I um have always been the kind of creative person who's had sort of uh, the same interests, you know, for a long, long time. Like I love horror movies. I love cult movies. I love drag. You know, these are the things I love. I was introduced to drag through the discovery of John Waters. I grew up in Maryland. You know, that's where I met Jenny um never called her jenny until now um Uh okay joshua (laughs) (laughs) look i've been called joshua since the mid 90s okay really it's just it's it's interesting to me that like someone hits a certain age and they're like call me a a little girly name
1: oh i'm Uh,
3: sorry i'm sorry
1: (laughs) i love that to be taken
3: seriously josh Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, anyway, I, so I always, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Maryland discovered John Waters, Divine, and also the Rocky Horror Picture Show, like, and loved horror movies, right? Like the, those things have never really changed. And so I've been able to kind of build a, cre- build a creative career out of the love of those things. And so I can speak to sort of the way that the horror industry uh, has changed as well as drag, um, because those are the the places I have my feet um, tapped into. And I'll say this, that when I started, um, both with filmmaking and with with performing um we were the ju- grunge generation right like i came out of a very grunge type of um of of time you know my my sort of you know high school years um and College years uh, were about taking, you know, shit, you know, just garbage and turning it into something. And so, drag was very much about thrift stores and the goodwill, and you know, um, and 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 trash bag fashion and and making numbers with, you know, nothing more than a cardboard box and a you know a paintbrush. And and so that's really like where my stuff started. And to look at it now, drag is is become so popular. And so so polished and it's such a big, I mean, I can't believe that drag is an industry because when I started, um, drag Queens were very much, um, the, uh, reviled freaks of the queer community. I mean, so much so that while, while fighting for uh, gay marriage and things, you know, drag Queens were quite literally pushed out of, of parades and, um, activism and, um, And we were pissed because, you know, drag queens were always the first on the line. Uh, And and when I say drag queens, I'm including trans folks and the entire umbrella of transgender people. Um, It is, is, we can talk about this as well. Language has changed as well, right? So back then, Um, we um, used an umbrella term that's now considered a pejorative uh, to, to describe a group of people who would fall under the category of uh, trans women, non-binary people, uh, transvestites, you know, straight men who dressed in, um, you know, women's clothes, like Jennifer remembers, you know, at the nightclub we all were brought up in. These people were all under the same umbrella, you know, drag queens, gay men who dressed up as in drag, lesbians who dressed up in male drag or female drag. Like, And because we were all kind of the freaks of the community, we didn't sort of... Um, Look at the differences. The definitions weren't so defined. It was kind of like, "Oh, you get beat up for the same reason I get beat up." So let's like create this safe space together. Um, and and the the larger um, gay community, the more sweater gay community, really didn't want us. Um, and that has changed. Oh my God, it has changed. You know, everyone wants a drag queen for everything. Drag has become sort of the pumpkin. Latte of gay culture, <laughs> you know, it's just so basic. Super and
2: mainstream.
3: It's super mainstream, and of course, you know, I'm that bitter old Gen Xer <laughs> who's watching young people become millionaires, and you know, I'm I'm going like, really, you know, uh, <laughs> but 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 on the flip side, I'm also really excited about it, right? Like I've benefited from its um its popularity, so I have mixed feelings about it. It's it's a bigger Conversation, I think that we could even tackle in one episode because it, it's so much tied to um, politics, uh, yeah. identity, um, pop culture. You know, drag is in many ways really fascinating in that way because it really is all of those things, and 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 has been at the forefront of all of those things. So I'm I'm maybe as a Gen Xer, what I'm struggling with now most is um, realizing or coming to to grips with the fact that I have traditionally um, turned down opportunities that might have made me more money or made me more successful from a, from an outsider point of view and coming to grips with the fact that like, oh no, you're attracted to being underground. You're attracted to the niche. You like to push buttons. You like, and now that drag is popular, that doesn't interest you, you know, like, and and I'm realizing that, like I was trying to kind of make myself fit into a universe where, where drag is super popular and realizing I. I didn't find it satisfying um so yeah it's been a journey I guess um and and you as think far you as have
1: nostalgia you know um I'm we not play around with that a little bit here you... like we talk about that yeah
3: I'm I was not...
2: gonna say uh, that it sounds like you miss that underground aspect that gritty sort of status of being revi- reviled by society I mean there's there's strength
3: yeah. in that I, I'll say this. I don't know that I miss it necessarily or am nostalgic for it, um, except that I am grateful that was my experience. Like I look at the young artists coming up today, and I and and none of what I'm I'm saying is a reflection on the talent because I actually think some of the most talented. Um, people I know are the most successful, you know, so, so, you know, Trixie Mattel, I met when she was 18, she, she did my all about evil show in Milwaukee, you know, she was a kid. And I remember watching her perform with the Rocky horror cast. They did, you know, did my show. And I said to her, like, you know, that you you're the one here with talent, you know, like, you know, and and then 10 years later we were roommates in Provincetown and, and now she's a multimillionaire who's, you know, literally an international, celebrity. So I don't begrudge her that at all. In fact, I'm very, very happy for her. And she's fucking transgressive. Like she's, bizarre. She's button pushing. She's offensive. She's been canceled a million times. Like I love that stuff. Like I'm glad I'm happy for her. You know, she's also got one of those spirits where she's a young person, but very much admires the people that came before her. So there's sort of this, um, this part of her that I think is successful, despite the fact that she is uh, problematic. And, you know, so, so, so when I'm speaking about the culture, I think it's Important for me to say, this isn't about the talent. I actually love the talent. I work with a lot of these people. Two of my drag daughters, my you know, the only two drag daughters I have are both winners of RuPaul's Drag Race, right? Like, so I am not going to sit here and and tear them down. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about maybe drag fan culture changing. <laughs> you know, I'm talking yeah. about drag as it's perceived in the mainstream. That's where I'm kind of like, I don't like this. So, uh. I guess I am grateful that I had the experience that I had, because if I were young today, my drag identity for better or worse would, would have to revolve around whether or not I was going to get on a reality TV show, as far as whether or not I could have a successful career. Luckily for me, that wasn't my story, nor, nor was it the story for many of my peers, you know? So I, I, maybe I am nostalgic for it, but I'm, it's more like, I'm just like, oh, I'm glad I, ha- I'm, I'm okay with being older because I got to have those years. And, but I don't know that I want to go back and relive them. <laughs> you know, like I- I'm okay with, you know, uh, now I get to go and do gigs at the San Francisco Symphony Hall and, you know, th- these sort of fancy things that that never ever would have happened in the early years. So I-, I actually enjoy that as well. So, you know, it's it's that thing of like, I'm, I'm okay with the way I, you know, things are. I wish I had more money, but, you know, he <laughs> doesn't?
2: As do we all. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to evolve and fancy things are not so bad, right? Um, it kind of leads me into the next question that 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 I had for you. And it's, you know, the topic of our podcast itself is we just explore endlessly, navel gazingly, our our own mortality and aging. I um, <laughs> want to know how does aging affect your drag and how does it affect mm. peaches? Like does, mm. peaches, does peaches get older or
3: uh-huh. is she evergreen? <laughs> this is a really funny question to answer because I started doing drag so young in San Francisco in and in sort of a public way. Like my, my show that Jennifer and I did together was called Midnight Mass. And that began in 1998, you know, and I started performing. What?
1: No. I, I did that when I was 12.
3: No. It, 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 so I moved to San Francisco in 1996 and started performing. Um, at T-Shack in 96 and kind of made a name for myself pretty quickly Um, and then then started my own event in 98. So what people locally forget is that I started really young. So they have this impression of Peaches because it's such a it's such a confusing thing. Like at in my twenties, I looked 50 because, you know, you put on all that makeup and the wigs and, and the clown, you know, they don't know, they really don't know. And because I was successful and ambitious, I think the perception was that I was much older than I actually was because I was, you know, like mounting these events and, and out there and, and, and kind of in the public eye locally, you know? Um, so it's hilarious to me now because people meet me and I'm really actually quite flattered because it locally, they're very surprised that I'm not 80, you know, because, <laughs> because if, if you've lived in San Francisco for 25 years, you've been familiar with this character, you know? Um, so I actually kind of like where I'm at because, um, you know, I uh, feel like the reaction is often, Oh my God, you're, you're younger than I thought you'd be, or you're younger looking than I thought you'd be. And I get I, that all the time. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So it, it, I think it's it's that thing of like, oh, right. I did start when I was pretty young, you know? And so, um, and I do feel like I've been doing it for 25 years. So there's another part of me that's a little bit tired. And and uh, the pandemic definitely was um, a, a time for me to reflect on like what was working and what wasn't working. And in fact, I actually knew that certain things weren't working before the plug was pulled. And one of those things was, I was just overcommitted. You know, I was one of those performers who, um, you know, took it took me a good uh, decade plus before I even attempted to be a full time artist. Right. Like I always had a job. I had a full time job plus building this sort of, you know, Peaches career and trying to make movies. And, you know, but but when I gave up the job, it was so scary because there was no safety net other than my own ability to book gigs. So what ended up happening is I started to have a real problem with turning things down, you know, and that was all fear-based, you know, so I would overcommit my, my Jennifer knows my schedule was insanely stupid, ridiculous, writing and directing five new stage shows a year, making movies, touring the world, like, and, and just because I was so afraid to say no to anything, you know, because almost like if I say no to something, it's just going to go away and, and they'll never ask me to do anything again. And, but what was happening was I, I lost the joy for it, you know? So it's like, yeah. what am I fighting for? You know, why, why am I like, I fought to be able to do what I love to make a living, but now I don't enjoy it. Cause I'm, I'm doing it too much. It was a very weird thing. So the pandemic actually helped in some ways, you know?
2: Yeah. It sounds like um, a good thing that has come from age is just the maturity and confidence to, to, to say, no, I, -hmm. I, my own personal life and Mm -hmm. as a performer, that is something that I'm way more in touch with now. Mm -hmm. I used to be. So I think that's amazing. And the pandemic has just been this time of reflection for everybody. Hopefully, hopefully you've used it to reflect what, um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's amazing that you've done and you do so many things, Joshua, the the filmmaking and the drag and the live shows, and I don't know how you do it, so. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: I'll be doing less of it in the future. Although uh, I, did, I, I did use the pandemic to do the things on my list that I hadn't been getting to, mm-hmm. right? That I was resenting Peaches for because it was like, wait, <laughs> I'm supposed to write that movie with Michael. You know, I, I still have a project with Chanté I want to work on. You know, I'm 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 supposed to write that TV show with Marla. So I did create a bunch of those projects. You know, I did created a docu series, a TV pilot, and a movie. You know, during the pandemic, because oh my God, I had the time to sit at home and like write and, and you know have phone calls with friends and and so that was really lovely. And in fact, maybe when you ask me about you know. Uh, the pandemic being over, maybe I don't want, like, I'm realizing I said, Oh, the pandemic's not over. Uh, we're still in the pandemic, everybody. You know, I, <laughs> wait, wait a
0: minute, we're trying to
2: get out of this thing.
3: I'm like, I, No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> I feel like you
0: saying that you wrote a pilot and a screenplay and something else and that it's not a lot.
2: It's shaming It's blowing us me all. away. Yeah.
0: Like, no, no, no. <laughs> Like no, I'm, I don't. I'm barely I, I, keeping this plant alive. Like that's <laughs> a project, pandemic project.
3: Okay, I will. I will. I will counter it with this because I know how obnoxious I sound. I, oh. I am mentally ill, and part of my <laughs> mental illness uh, is that at at when I hit 45, I had a bit of a like um prob maybe at like I don't know midlife crisis. I don't know what you would call it, but. It definitely was a dark period. So I don't really talk about this very often. I haven't really been asked, but um, I figure since this is what your show is about, uh, I do think part of it was aging and doing sort of an evaluation. It kind of reminds me of that Saturn returns period when I when I was like 27, 28, I felt like I was like falling apart and needed to kind of rebuild myself or, or re-figure out who I was. And So um, this is before the pandemic. This is me like feeling overwhelmed and chaotic and crazy and anxious, like fully anxious all the time. And I ended up getting a therapist, um, which I hadn't done before, shockingly, because I didn't think I had time. Um, And uh, the, the therapist basically said, like, you've you've created a life of trauma for yourself. Like you you live on, you know, trauma in many ways, because every show is another um a way to to take to to take your life savings and put it at risk which is true i was investing in my own project so you know if if i lost money i lost money if i if the show tanked i didn't know how i was going to pay my rent if it did well um you know i would have a lot of money for a little while you know and then i'd do it all over again and my therapist was describing this is not normal behavior (laughs) you're you're um you're you're your, the fabric of your DNA is now wired to be anxious all the time. You're now having an anxiety response to things normal people wouldn't, you know, um, you know, like whatever the bus being late or something. And I would have a full on meltdown mentally, you know, be driving myself crazy. So uh, I started meditating every day and um, I got onto a, an, an anti-anxiety pill and I started, you know, working on myself um, and I got a trainer And do things that I hadn't done. And so part of that process was me actually canceling gigs um, and saying no to gigs. So it it was, it was like, I was getting the ball rolling um, to do all of this, but part of my um, joy or happiness or mental health is connected to feeling productive. So that I get is actually maybe problematic in some ways. Um, But my way of staying sane um, while being stuck at home was like I, so I. The way some people baked or did other things that were self-soothing, actually creating stuff for me is self-soothing. So it's less about being productive in that sort of obnoxious Hollywood way, or you know. Um, I think we're we're designed as creatives to be competitive, and I think that's kind of a bad thing. It's like, oh no, no, no! These projects may never see the light of day, and that's okay. Like I just needed them at that time, you know? So whether, whether these projects go anywhere or not for me, isn't really the point. The point was I got to do this and that made me feel okay.
0: That's an amazing description um, of what it feels, especially what you were talking about, the anxiety. I relate very much Mm -hmm. with that, uh, the help of therapy and the pill and all of that from stopping you from spiraling
3: well, we're like maybe Gen Xers are a, a different kind of fucked up because we're we're between these generations. I think, you know, the the generations, Um, that are younger than us actually are more in touch with those things and have a better language for them and, and, and understood them more. I'm not saying that they suffer less than we do. In fact, I think they may suffer more. I think they, they just are more in tune with what's going on. I think because uh, you know, I was raised by boomers who were completely out of touch with any of this stuff and don't talk about it and don't acknowledge it. You know, I I'm in this sort of, or like, or we are in this sort of in-between zone where it just took me a lot longer to go oh, you're fucked up and you should probably like, you know, uh, get get some help. Like, I think I had to hit a bit of a rock bottom, you know?
1: We think well, that's, Oh, sorry, go oh, ahead. Go ahead, Jenny. No, I was gonna say, well, one of the questions we wanted to ask you, speaking of the generational shift or divide is like, how the difference between, cause we, you know, we have a segment, what the kids are up to.
3: Uh-huh.
1: One thing that we wanted- What a
3: great theme about, song.
1: I think <laughs> it is, is great. One, right? uh,
0: I labored oh, on it for minutes.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Minutes. <laughs>
0: Second,
1: <laughs> seconds. Um, so we wanted to ask you about, like, what is the difference between a Zoomer drag queen and, like, a boomer drag queen or a Gen X? Just the, like, what are the generational divides? And also, too, just because I know we, we, we're going to have to wrap it up fairly soon. We were very curious about whether cancel culture has come for drag, which I think. Oh, yeah that it has, but if you can talk about the, I'd be very curious about the the Zoomer singing and like, I mean, we've sort of touched on like language shifting and whatnot, but like the ways that creating has changed and like how it's playing out.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, that's a good question. And again, it's sort of like, uh, there's a way to answer that in the before times and, and by that, I mean, before March of 2020 and then and then the aftertimes, where I actually think in the aftertimes, we may have leveled things a little bit because regardless of what age you were, you know, watching Jackie Beat, you know, someone who's, uh, almost 10 years older than me, who's a legend of drag, actually figure out how to use social media to keep herself going. And, and much like me, Jackie was out there every day to the point where people were going like, Jesus fucking Christ, she's doing a show every day. She has a show every day of the week. And, and, I'm, and, and people are thinking she must be so broke. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. That has nothing to do with the money much in the same way that I'm waking up, having a cup of coffee and going and working on writing. That was Jackie's way of coping with what was happening. It was interesting to watch Jackie and a lot of the older queens have to become more sophisticated with editing software, uh, social media platforms, you know, um, the, the things that we maybe had avoided a little bit or kind of didn't really, we weren't really engaged in because we were doing more traditional types of performance in theater spaces. I do think that the pandemic and and you know that year kind of actually put everyone in a, a, a sort of a more level playing field. Um, so before the pandemic, I would say that you definitely have a scenario where it's 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 more of a of a of a change because of the popularity of RuPaul's Drag Race. It, it, it's hard to underestimate the the sort of impact that the popularity of that show has had on drag culture and how it's how it's colored all of drag culture. So I think really you have a bunch of us who were who put one foot in front of the other and built a career and a name and became, you know, maybe internationally known amongst drag fans right like we're not internationally known uh, uh on a mainstream level the way the girls who are on the tv show are but we were internationally known amongst people who are interested in drag so myself coca peru uh jackie beat lady bunny um you know and that whole thing was done um just like show business old-fashioned you know touring and creating shit and putting yourself out there the tv show and its popularity has created a machine uh it's very much um it's v- very much a package there's a there's a a whole system to it you know you, you 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 get on the show you you are liked or you're not liked they make you a villain or they make you likable you know uh you come off the show you either figure out how to uh create a platform based on this sort of popularity that you have and and it either works or it doesn't and um I think it's a lot harder now for young people to do what we did, um, which I think is a little unfortunate because the show only showcases one style of drag. I mean, sure, there's tons of different kinds of drag queens on there. But the fact remains, it's a reality TV show. If you're going to go on that show, you should be good at, you know, sewing costumes or doing lip syncs or building a wig, all the shit that I'm not good at or makeup, all stuff I'm not very good at. Right, like so, the the kind of performer I am is not going to go on that show and be told, okay, you, um, today's challenge is to write and direct a feature film, you know, it's like, uh, you know, or 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 do what Coco Peru does brilliantly, which is a ninety minute one woman monologue, you know, like so so I I actually feel like it may be harder in some ways to now be a, a drag queen who's trying to stand out as an artist. Before, we we, we got to define what drag was. And, and we got to say, what kind of queen we were and, and not be compared to every other queen because of a competition. Now drag, all drag is a competition. That's another thing that's changed. We were not yeah. competitive with each other. Drag wasn't about being competitive. It was like Heclina, Peaches, Darcy, all these people. We love them. We're not sitting, oh, Heklina is better than Peaches. Uh, Peaches does this better than Heclina. But because of the TV show now, every queen is being evaluated by nightmare, 13-year-old brats.
2: <laughs> I was going
0: to say it's
3: like high school and, yep. That's yeah, what that's reality
2: it. TV has done to so yeah. much art in general, I think. Yeah. Just, yeah,
0: But it's not also like a bit, like they say, well, if there's an Olive Garden on the street, at least it creates an ecosystem and there might be an independent restaurant next to it because that's the restaurant district now.
3: Yes and no. Actually, yes and no. I w- I'll say this. It, it, it has definitely, definitely made it so that, like, I can do bigger shows because the marquee value of my friends pulls in bigger audience, right? So uh, I will say that I never cast people based solely on their marquee value. I do always um, put the quality of the show ahead of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the pressure to sell tickets towards the end was becoming very intense. And the pressure to stay on top of what was hip or popular because it was changing so quickly became less interesting to me you know i actually was more interested in like i want to see jinx monsoon as little edie that inspires me i'm gonna write a show for that to um oh god what movie do they want to see this person do and this person's really popular and producers and people who tour me going like why don't you cast this person why don't you do this why don't you write this show and of course like any creative um i was kind of like fuck you you know (laughs) Uh, because it wasn't coming from my own excitement or whatever.
1: But how do you think, like, the new crop, like, at, just an attitude? Okay, for example, I'm on a college campus. I'm always hesitant to because I've started telling some of the students. You're well, like, with your spring, college like, age. You're not sure college campus. I've been campus. telling some of the students about the podcast um, because when they They're run gonna... into me, I give them like a little TED talk, you know, just about what I think about the world. It's so fucking lonely. Little, so, <laughs> but it's you like know, two hours
3: later, they're like, "This lady won't shut up."
1: Exactly, they're like, <laughs> "Avoid the woman with the dog." If you want to get the class Did you on say time. your name is Jenny yeah exactly they're like but you seem so old but um okay but they like are very aware of their labor you know they talk about their labor and uh, how they, they they you know they need to
3: form it, a union
1: exactly which okay i'm i'm all for it but yeah. you know, especially in the art all about emotional labor with it's, those uh, kids. The emotional labor, ah, emotional, right. labor. It's emotional labor it's giving labor. birth
0: labor yeah the
1: value of this is a big one the value of their work they're like 18 and i'm like "Uh uh-huh so i'm just wondering about that just because so much of like diy when you know i mean so much of being an artist too if you're not like just spectacularly lucky in terms of like having the industry court you and pay you is like you do it for the love of it Mm -hmm. so i'm just wondering about that divide too
3: I totally see and hear uh, what you're describing. I see I'm,
1: you. I hear you. No, no, no.
3: <laughs> I, I'm just realizing. I, I, I'm. It's more like um, I don't have a um, a. Uh, what's the word? I, right now, I'm working with a ton of actors, um, and it's a very sort of uh, wide range of people. We have. I mean, like talk about diversity, like it's 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 every gender. It's it's all ages. It's all races. You know, we have um, we have actors who are disabled. We have crew who, you know, we have, you know, a blind, um, you know, person working on our staff, like really, you know, um, it's the most diverse group of people I've ever worked with. Part of it's by design, of course, and the other part of it is, you know, people who don't fit in other places feel comfortable in this kind of show, right? Like, if you're a freak out in the world, how fun is it to come and get to be paid to be a freak and scare people, and and to you know to to celebrate your freakishness? So, um, I will say that at least the people who are attracted to doing my shows in general, I don't experience that. So on the flip side, I will say there are still young people. Now, I think part of that is that I'm a producer who's a performer and I do think it makes a difference. So I've worked for producers who are performers. Um, for example, uh, the Boulet brothers booked me for their TV show. The Boulet brothers booked me to host um, events for them. And the, so the Boulet brothers are also uh, uh, producers um, who are also drag performers there is a big difference in the way i'm treated the way i'm um, the way i'm considered you know uh, it, 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 i don't know how to describe it not that producers who aren't performers are bad there are some really good ones but they don't tune into some of your thoughts they don't tune into some of your feelings and so i think i benefit in some ways from being a producer who's a performer. For example, the last two nights we've had actors who had to call in. So I, uh, of the five big producers, I'm always the one who jumps into the show. So the way they connect with me is very different. And, we pay them well, you know. We we uh, we make sure they get breaks. We you know we um, we take care of them. We listen to them. You know, an actor last night said she wasn't comfortable working with her scene partner. She tried it for two nights. She's actually topless in the scene, and um, you know it's it, it it has more to do with the fact that he's just not trained in stage combat as well as the actor she was working with, and so you know I swap him out immediately. Like it's that thing where I think. Young people, if they feel like they're being well, these young people, if they feel like they're being listened to and taken care of, they will fight very hard to give me a whole hell of a lot, like a lot. But a big part of my job is showing gratitude, you know, and um, letting them know that, you know, I'm paying attention.
1: So what you're saying is your child whisper. Now, no, you been- know, I I
3: think it's just that I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I taught at San Francisco Art Institute. So I ran into a lot of that as a teacher. I'm yeah. lucky that as a producer, um, the, the show doesn't attract that. I think partly because they would just get pushed out. Like none of their, that sort of whininess just wouldn't be heard. And their peers would would roll their eyes. Like they just wouldn't fit into the culture. Yeah. I guess my point is let's not, let's not blanket all of the young people with this uh, sort of idea only because I, I have had an, an other experience like I'm working with a, a group I mean one of our actors is 19 you know he's he's a kid wow. and he and, and we said okay you're 19 so you get to put on this giant rig every night and he's we strap him into a backpack with this huge thing Constructed piece that comes off his shoulders, and then you know through that is a huge costume with a puppet head. So he's he's you know a twelve foot monster in the show uh, that comes to life. And it's like I, I had a long talk with him. Like this isn't what you signed up for, um, but this is how you get to the 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 point where you're going to be taking that person's role in a year or two years. Like you do this for me, you do it well, and I will reward you. And the other thing is, as you know, Jennifer. I am pretty loyal to people. Like if you, if you show up and do a good job for me, like I will take care of you.
1: Joshua is an amazing, you have Mm. always been an amazing, very benevolent, very loving, like incredible leader of groups. Oh, thank you. Always, always. Also, Kim is like the queen of Halloween. I really feel like you guys need to, Ah! I really feel like you need to go to SF Kim and like I do well, love Halloween, but remember I did one of
2: Joshua's shows with you. Was it? Was it? Yes, we all were oh, zombies, the- and oh, yeah, we were incredible. zombies.
1: Yes, and when you came to Semper- I- when you came to New York and did n- Midnight Mass at the landmark, that's yes, that's what
3: it was. Ah, okay.
0: Yeah. Yes. I can't believe was I was really fun. In Florida and missed this. Oh, oh no! Yeah. Talk yeah. About, talk about
3: horror shows. Yeah. Oh was- right, I think it was all about evil.
2: That's what, I was, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, it yeah, was, yeah. And you brought it to New York. Yes, I, yes. Um, yeah. The yeah, way, I was like was the Bride fun. of Frankenstein. It was- Yes. A-
0: yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. That's
0: fun. The way that you've described this, Joshua, if anybody is going to be anywhere near the Bay Area and this Halloween season doesn't go see this, I don't know what they're even doing with themselves. Yeah.
3: <laughs> like, <laughs> I need so to come funny. out and see this. Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll just shamelessly say it's terrorvault.com. So, don't uh, you don't know, shame if, if don't it, shamelessly <laughs> yes,
2: plug, plug, plug away. What, are, yeah. plug, what plug are you working on? So
3: well, I I mean, this is all consuming right now. So terrorvault.com and this show runs through Halloween. Um, and we may extend, you know, at the end, but but for now, right now it, it runs through Halloween. Um and yeah, and then just uh Well, I have a podcast. I started a podcast right when you all did. So that's the other thing I'm working on. Um, so, uh, it's, it's a, it's an audio version of the show midnight mass that Jennifer and I used to do way back in the mid (laughs) nineties. Um, Uh and, uh, I was
1: such a baby.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so it's 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 a cult movie um, podcast where we we celebrate cult movies and really look at the not just the films themselves but the cults. So we we try to include the obsessed fans who whose lives were changed because of their love for this thing. Um, And so that is called Midnight Mass, which you can find um, wherever you you listen to podcasts. And yeah, and then I'm on social media, you know, so um, I'm pretty easy to find. Amazing. Well,
1: thank you so much. This has been so fun. I feel like we could have taken any one of these um like questions and done an entire
3: hour. Yes. Yeah. Well, I feel I feel like we didn't get to to talk about cancel culture. Oh,
1: yes.
2: Um,
3: you know, so I'll I'll say that um I think this is just where I'm what I'm feeling today and I think it's really interesting and I think this is something that comes up. On your podcast, so much in the same way that I, I, I sort of just defended young people, um, I, uh, I will say that I think cancel culture um, has run its course, and you know I think we're we're we I think it's the gen xers who need to step up and go enough, you know. Um, so I, I I kind of feel like we're we're sort of the middle group of people who are like, look this is not how we do things. This is not effective. Now, I don't speak about this very often either, but I will say that I'm uh, sober and I've been sober for a long time. And I, I won't speak to any you know program of recovery or anything like that because that would be wildly inappropriate, but I don't drink. And I will say that as a non-drinker who helps other people not drink, um, cancel culture would fuck everything up, you know, like, like throwing people out and telling them they're not good anymore because they make a mistake is not the way we as human beings are going to evolve. And I think we as Gen Xers have known this all along and kind of, kind of been like standing in the shadows, also afraid, like, please don't fucking cancel me, you know? Um, and so we've, we've kind of been quiet, but I think you know, especially talking to other drag queen friends of mine, I think like it's just enough like this doesn't work. This isn't working like knock it off. Um, we're not moving forward because of canceling people. It does not mean we have to accept, uh, you know, fascists and horrible people. That's not at all what we're talking about. But what what's happening is we're, we're canceling each other. Right. Like we're not we're not actually, you know, working toward, um, you know, actually fighting a common enemy. And there are so many of them right now. We just end up just fighting with each other. And this is just such an ugly way to be. So I, I, I feel like right now it's it's our job to sort of like kind of say enough. And the other thing is, is like, you know, we were the generation who got to grow up and watch, you know, act up, you know, change the world, you know, act up. They had intense hours-long meetings in church basements where people from sweater gay lawyers to, you know, lesbian feminists to, you know, Black activists would never have hung out together, would never have gotten along, but knew that people were dying and that they had to come together and fight an enemy. So they put aside their petty surface differences and they thought and they voted and discussed and they created actions. They didn't just go on the internet and write, this person's canceled, you know. And And it's like, how did we go from that to this as progressives? You know? um, so I, I think it's good for like folks like us to say, like this isn't getting us anywhere. This isn't yeah. like let's go back to the models that work, you know,
1: yeah yeah, you have to in or you have to make a, a movement is about adding people not subtracting them. And yeah. that just like that is just a basic that's just basic math. Yeah. And even I know that, and I failed every math class I've ever
3: taken. <laughs> so,
1: okay. Um, I love you so much. Oh, I love you too. We have one last request. Since we were... Teenagers. Yeah, I don't know why I insist on pretending I'm 30.
3: I think that uh, you should have me. Uh, you should have me back on and ask me all the stories about Jennifer's youth. Anything no. you yes. want to know? i no.
1: no. this. I also
3: no. want to have you back and have an
0: hour about the horror movies we grew up with in the 80s. Oh, okay. that would be, that would be so fun! I could do a
2: deep dive.
0: Yeah, that would be. Yeah, a one. I oh,
2: would love so it. Many. Can
0: and we, we ask you a big favor? Do. Sure. What's that? Can you tell our audience to
3: keep it perky? Uh, hi, this is Peaches Christ asking you all to keep it perky. Shivers.
1: I love you. I really all love you.
3: you love you too
1: and all those things so everybody um i'm gonna tell everyone to also go to peacheschrist.com, which is an amazing website with lots of archives archival you know footage and information and new information so you should check that out thank you thank you joshua thank Thank you you. thank you bye
0: bye Bye. Bye. wow
1: fun
2: awesome
1: our first guest
0: that was incredible um should we plug ourselves um, before we go
1: yeah um everybody you can find us i don't know what any of our shit <laughs> is i'm the worst person just <laughs> make it up jen then we'll, okay. we'll make it well, uh, we want your reviews i want some goddamn reviews um and they better be five stars or else i'm gonna there's gonna be a horror movie and it's just me coming to your house um So five stars, not any less Um, halfway there, the podcast halfway there, uh, on Apple, Apple, right? That's where they review on Apple. Yes, on
0: Apple. Just um, bite into apples, any Apple, and it's right in the there. On the
1: apples and the YouTubes. <laughs> um, the YouTubes.
0: And, oh no. We don't have a YouTubes
1: yet, but okay, maybe- we're gonna have the YouTubes. Any aspiring producers out there, come on, hook up with us. Let's make. Let's make a. Let's make an empire. You've seen um, the quality of guests <laughs> that we now have
2: on our podcast.
1: Like we're. we're-
2: we're not small potatoes
1: here. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And Let we keep know. an interview moving. And you can also reach out to us at halfwaytherethepodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. That's right. And throw us a few bones since it's Hall- old Hollows Eve on a Patreon so that we can, you know, up keep upping the game and maybe hire a pub- publicist and all of that stuff. That'd right? Be- Dream yeah. big. Yeah, totes. totes. Spotify, you out there. <laughs> uh,
2: totally. And and the words of Peaches Christ. Keep it perky.
0: Keep it perky. This has been halfway there, but it's also the end. The end of this episode of halfway there. You get it.